Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome, welcome. This is episode three of the Coffee and Comics podcast. I'm your most triumphant and constantly caffeinated host, Clinton Robison. For those of you joining me in the coffee cave for the first time, or for those of you who somehow forgot what this show is about, I try to have a small discussion about something comics related and keep it to where you can enjoy it over a cup of coffee or other beverage of choice. This time around, I succumb to fan demand and take a look at a story featuring that marvelous Marvel duo, Cloak and Dagger. However, this may not be quite the story you're expecting. From the 1991 Marvel Superhero Summer Special, this is Mercy Street. Plot by Jack Herman. Script by Big Derry Dutter. Pencils by Jim Reddington. Inks by Tom Dizon. Colors by Ken Fedeniewicz, letters by Rick Parker, editor Mike Rockwitz, and editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. And I apologize for all the names I just completely buggered. Cloak and Dagger are perched on the roof of a theater which closed down the previous night. They have come to reflect upon a recent tragedy. As we see Dagger begin to cry over the death of an old friend, we switch to TV reports. After an extended focus on what superheroes have pets and which kinds, we finally learn of the death of 16-year-old actress Misty Maynor, a pornographic film star. When Dagger knew her, Misty was named Mary Gregory, and Dagger was Tandy Bowen. That was only a few years ago, but in some ways seems so distant, too. We're treated to Dagger's memories of their younger days, the two dreaming of becoming famous as a dancer or an actress, and even simple pleasures like going fishing with Mary's father. After her father died, Mary ran away from home and quickly became an actress, just not the kind she had dreamed of. Pornography and drugs were Mary's, no Misty's, life now. Scenes jump from flashback to Misty on the set to news reports discussing the porn industry and Harvey Swank, the man that is being held responsible as he is the one to gain from these movies. Apparently, Mr. Swank went missing the night of Misty's death and cannot be reached. Newscasters speculate on the quote-unquote real truth, but Dagger has no need to speculate. Dagger knows. We see the film set and Harvey Swank making sure Misty's had her pills before they begin filming. Mid-scene, the crew speculates that Misty's drugs just aren't helping her do the scenes anymore. She seems to lack passion, enjoyment, or whatever they're asking of her. 
Swank approaches Misty on the bed, but she appears to have passed out. But Misty's not unconscious. She's dead. Just then, Cloak and Dagger appear, having followed a lead on a drug dealer and who he's been selling to. Dagger uses her powers to stun Swank before Cloak swallows him into the darkness to, quote, a place where he can see exactly what it is that he has done wrong. Now that things have settled down, Tandy recognizes her friend Mary and breaks down into tears. Cloak releases Swank, having suffered for his crimes. Back in the present, Dagger and Cloak reflect on the recent events. Dagger has a there-but-for-the-grace-of-God moment, while Cloak tells her that her friend died long before becoming the young woman they saw in that bed. Dagger takes solace in the fact that Mary and her father are again reunited and sailing away somewhere happier. Alright, let's take a promo break and I'll be back with my thoughts on all of this. Hey Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff, but what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect! Some like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice! Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar! Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? Before I get into the story proper, let me admit something right here and now. I was familiar with Cloak and Dagger before but I'd never really read any of their stories outside of team-up appearances. So let me do a small bit of research. A few moments later... Cloak and Dagger were created by Bill Mantlo and Ed Hannigan. They were, in short, more or less street-level heroes who dealt with the war on drugs more than fighting supervillains. That's what I managed to come up with with my overly minimal research. Focusing on this story, however, I have one thing in particular to say. How did this not get a mature reader's label? I mean, holy smokes, people, this is definitely not meant for preteens. And the art, while nothing is actually shown, nothing is necessarily hidden. You see much more sexualized art in 90 Spider-Man comics, but... There is no hiding that Misty is supposed to be doing the deed in some of these panels. I'm not meaning to bash the story by any means. It's eight pages full of story and incredibly well done. The story is a bit of a harsh morality tale, but at the same time, this isn't exactly a bad thing. A few things I do want to mention pretty quickly. Misty is 16. 16! I don't know what the laws are like in the Marvel U but I seriously think this is pushing it. Have I mentioned this should have been a mature reader story? Swank's punishment in the darkness seems to be being forced to continually do drugs and porn movies infinitely until his heart explodes. 
Not sure if everybody reading this will get the right message, but okay. Kind of a hell of his own creation sort of thing. But could have been shown better in a mature reader's book. I wish we'd gotten more of a look at Dagger's past with Mary, but again, it's only eight pages, and the story is pretty full already. The art is really good for the most part. A few times, there is a minimalist approach, but most of the time, everything looks great. The faces are very expressive. I'm a huge fan of the sequence where Tandy and Mary are discussing becoming famous. I'm a little creeped out by the scene of Misty on the set, but they do take care not to show anything too graphic, and you can definitely tell her body's age from the drug use. A few coloring mistakes here and there, particularly regarding Cloak's skin tone, but mostly forgivable. There is a cute little cameo of Batman in the shadows on the first page. Not sure if this is intentional or not, but it helps lighten a very dark story. Overall, I would highly recommend this story, but only if you don't have any sort of rape or sexual assault traumas that might trigger. I know I've said it ad nauseum, but at this point, I still have to say it again. This is a story for a select audience. Definitely a mature reader's kind of thing. So let's take another quick promo break and I'll be back with the messages. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on theLongboxCrusade.com, and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. Now, listen if you dare to messages from outer space. Alright, so last episode we looked at Irredeemable number two, and we got some wonderful favorites and retweets. Thank you so very much for spreading the word, people. Without you, this show would not be possible. So I'd like to thank everybody. On Twitter, we got favorites and retweets from Laurel at Mountainflower1, Eric Sean, Steve Sellers, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Justice's First Dawn, Longbox Crusade, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Chris Sheehan, 100 Issues, Ed Moore, Andrew in Belfast, Joe Crawford, Relatively Geeky Network, Inigo Montoya, Ed Moore Jr., Ed Moore, Comic Reflections, Comics Tweets, Knowing Flame Comics, Cash Flag, a.k.a. Al, Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast, Comics in the Golden Age, Greg Arujo, Supplier of Classic Comic Book Ads, Trekker Talk, David Lowe, Treasury Comics, Caffeinated Cup, Ryan Daly of Batman Nightcast and Power of Fishnets, Captain Marvel 75, and Paul Neary. Over on Facebook, we got likes and shares from Rad Network, home of Darren and Ruth Sutherland's podcasts, Ryan Daly, Gregor Rougeau, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Rob Kelly of The Fire and Water Network, Joe Crawford, and for the non-discerning reader. Alright, so we also got a little bit of feedback from episode two. 
My somewhat neighbor, as far as states go, and all-around amazing guy, Greg Arusho, says he is now interested in trying to find the rest of Irredeemable through Hoopla or his local library. For those of you unaware, Hoopla is an app that some libraries use to loan out ebook versions, and they have quite a few graphic novels and trades from what I'm told. Keep us all posted on what you find out, Greg. Ryan Daly, podcaster extraordinaire and world's wackiest talent scout, has declared that this show didn't fall into a sophomore slump. Thanks for the kind words, Ryan. Be sure to have your people call my people. We'll do lunch. Darren Sutherland, chief curator of museums honoring the works of Mike Grell, Ron Rantel, and Mark Schultz, commented that he and Ruth saw Mark Wade in Virginia when they talked about Irredeemable during one of his panels. Darren and Ruth also agree with my views on Superpan. So that's very good to know. Alright, so that's it for the messages this time around. Thanks everybody once again for likes, shares, favorites, retweets, writing in, anything and everything. I very much appreciate it. Alright, well that wraps it up for this episode. Hope everybody enjoyed. Thanks for sticking with us and we will see you next time. Colors by Ken Colors by Ken Feduni Good Lord, I cannot say that. Colors by Ken Fedunewitz.